Welcome to the Droma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association, or JOMA, podcast. I'm your host, Elisa Minkin. I'm a general pediatrician, and I'm really honored and excited to be here today with Dr. Rena Kravitz. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this with me and actually for reaching out to me because this is a really important topic. So first, I'm going to just give your introduction. Dr. Kravitz received her undergraduate degree from Barnard College, where she graduated cum laude. I hope I pronounced that right. And was awarded her dental degree from Columbia School of Dental Medicine. She completed her residency training in general dentistry at Kings County Hospital, where she is the director of pediatric dentistry. She subsequently completed her postgraduate training in pediatric dentistry at Maimonides Medical Center. She has completed her boards in pediatric dentistry with distinction and is also a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. Dr. Kravitz is currently the program director of pediatric dentistry at Maimonides Medical Center, as well as a clinician and educator who has lectured on both regional and national levels. She's a mother of five, Kananahara, and a grandma, a puppy, just like me. So we have a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. So as a pediatrician, I, I actually, I have to tell you, when I do my visits, particularly for the youngest children, I think it's such an important preventative topic. That's one of the topics I just never skip, um, talking about, you know, dental related issues. Um, I think you explained it better than I did. I always say like the number one infectious disease in children is dental decay. I don't think that's accurate. It's something else. It's the number one chronic disease? Number one chronic disease, right. Even more than yeah. just infectious. It's more common than asthma, which right. is a big one. So it's a very common uh, illness. Great. Uh, we are starting to look at, at teeth decay as an illness rather than a condition uh, caused by um, all sorts of a combination of things, basically three. Uh, too much sugar in the diet, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunate luck with getting a certain number of bacteria in your mouth, and host mm -hmm. factors. So it's a triad of three different causes, and we can try to interfere in any one of those causes to try to prevent the children from having this problem. So let's wonder, since we're already talking, talking about it, let's continue along those lines. Before you start, though, I just want to know what you think about moms putting pacifiers in their mouth and then back in the baby's mouth. Is that a good thing? Uh, well, actually, that's the way to get cavities, <laughs> because we're now taking any of the bacteria that live in mom's mouth, colonizing the children with those same uh, strep mutans and a whole host of different bacteria. So we don't like sharing, uh, as you know, especially there's what's called the window of infectivity, uh, when the mm -hmm. baby is getting the most teeth in and they're getting the biggest amount of enamel, and that's when we have to be even more careful of doing that. So there's a number of levels why that's not a good idea, so I'm sure you agree. Yeah, no, I do. So let's talk a little bit more about the prevention. Okay, well, um, we're starting in prevention, or should we go even further to breastfeeding problems and tongue ties? Okay, yes, fine. So we're going to backtrack to, to breastfeeding um, since we mentioned pacifier. We'll go back to best breastfeeding. And it's interested me that you brought up tongue ties because, honestly, I deal with tongue tie issues all the time, and I would love to hear the dentist perspective on tongue ties because tongue ties are hot now. Very. <laughs> you know, it's always the disease du jour. 
Uh, there's always a disease that's common. I mean, when my kids were young, everybody had gastric reflux. Um, they still do, by the way. <laughs> still a big one. Yeah, and actually, tongue tie could be related to gastric reflux or certainly gastric issues. If a baby cannot suck effectively, mm-hmm. um, and they're going to be swallowing a lot of air and have problems with that and colic and all that. So tongue tie is a big issue, very controversial in dentistry as well. Um, there's many schools of thought um, it's really a matter of, I think everybody will agree that it's a matter of more of the physiology and the symptoms and the anatomy of the, of the situation. In other words, if a baby's having problems eating, uh, not being able to swallow well, I always advise a good lactation consultant first. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm always, uh, y- you must, I, even with my fifth baby, I had to have a consultation with a shout out to Freda Rosenfeld. Um, <laughs> Freda Rosenfeld, I used to work in Brooklyn. She was amazing. Yes. Yes. I, 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 I do love Freda. A shout out to, to Freda Rosenfeld. She is a very uh, awesome lactation consultant um, who's not afraid to think out of the box. Right. Um, but I'm going to mention another one, though, just because I am I, in Long Island and we have Dr. Lauren Macaluso. And I'm going to mention to people who listen to this that we also did a talk with Dr. Macaluso on breastfeeding. So this can be listened to as well. Yes, yes, yes. And um, so we do occasionally do see tongue ties and uh, we it's it's a minor procedure in our office. Um, for the newborn babies, we do a very small called a phrenotomy. It takes about a minute and a half uh, just to cut that tissue. But it's not as common as, as people like to let on. I would say about half of the people, at least, that come to my office for um, procedures, we send them home and say, talk to a lactation consultant. And, um, and sometimes I do that too. So actually, you brought two points up. That point that you just mentioned that you don't remove all of them just because they're there. And then the other point you mentioned earlier is that it has to be connected to dysfunction. I hear parents all the time say, oh, my child has a tongue tie and they're older and no one ever told me. And now the child's older and all of a sudden they, they believe that if they don't fix this tongue tie, they will have problems down the road. So I think you're making a very important point. Again, it's controversial, but start with a reason to do something about it that there's a functional problem. So for a newborn, that would be a feeding problem. Correct. Correct. We're not going to have a speech problem in a newborn. Um, mm-hmm. Mostly, yes. I mean, I, I agree with that. There's a lot of research now about... Um, form follows function and having, um, if you have a very restricted tongue, that can Mm. affect the growth of the upper jaw. So Mm. there is a lot of research going on. The jury is still out. Really, the only thing I can say on that is the jury is out. Um, There's a lot of different ways to look at it. I think it's right, so another point that it depends on how extensive the, I don't mean to remember, the how extensive the tongue tie is. Like you just said, very restrictive for someone to understand. It's one thing to see a little membrane. You know, it's normal to have a membrane. But if the child has full range of motion with all the mouth structures, then it's not impacting in the same way as a very tight little membrane that the baby can't even. I've seen it where the, the tongue actually makes like a heart shape. Correct. It can't even get all the way out. Yes, yes, that, exactly, exactly. So it's a matter of degree. It's a matter of um, symptoms. Um, mm. The jury is out. I mean, I was listening to the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, a recent um, uh, convention, and they and one guy said, uh, well, you know, you must cut tongue ties. And the next guy says, well, we have no evidence that pediatric sleep apnea moves on to adult sleep apnea. 
And so people are saying cut tongue ties to prevent apnea. And then on the other hand, people are saying, and there's good research on both sides of the fence. So it's very controversial. Um, and you really have to make a case-by-case decision. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about tongue tie, are you referring only to that little anterior, like in the front of the mouth strip? Because there's also people talk a lot about posterior tongue ties. A posterior tongue tie is completely um, controversial is the best way to put it. Right. I don't know that a posterior tongue tie exists. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not. I mean, there are people that think if they cut a tongue tie, they'll prevent ADHD, uh, you know. Right. I don't know. I, I, I don't see it that making that much of an impact. But again, a kid that doesn't sleep is a kid who's going to be hyperactive. Why wouldn't they sleep because of a posterior tongue tie? I never actually heard that connection. Okay, so the logic, the logic with the tongue ties are really <laughs> mostly with breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not breathing well, then they're not sleeping well. They're waking up. It's the sleep apnea connection. So if a kid is a tongue tie can lead to sleep apnea, and if they have sleep apnea, they're going to have problems, you know, behaving theoretically. Is there good data connecting the tongue tie to sleep apnea? Because that I haven't seen. There's some data. Not good data. Some data. Okay. So not good data. So in other words, this is a very controversial area. I don't want to leave people misled thinking, oh my gosh, my child is not sleeping properly. They should get that tongue tie clipped when that is so, so confusing right now. Correct. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's very, very controversial. That's the best way to, bo- to put it. Um, there is, you know... There's a lot out there. There's tongue tie connected to enlarged adenoids because if they're not breathing well, then their adenoids get enlarged. And there's all sorts of stuff out there. The answer I feel right now is to be conservative and to go on a case-by-case basis and Mm -hmm. to understand that many of these situations are very multifactorial. There's many different things that have to all come into play for the child to have a problem. Um, so I'm sorry, I thought it's a multidisciplinary meaning that you can go to different professionals and get different opinions. Um, and you can certainly go to an ENT. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. 100% ENTs uh, do a lot of the phrenectomies, mm-hmm. certainly the more um, complicated ones, a lot of the ENTs will want to do, uh, again, because it's, it's, a, it's a delicate area and you could do damage. Right, right. No, I've seen it, unfortunately. You know, yes. if it's a tiny little membrane that you're just taking a little snip to, it, it, it should heal very quickly, but not everybody is snipping delicate, you know, little bits. They're sometimes going deeper and there could be scarring, you know. and, and Yes, infection. absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. That's a big issue. That's why uh, it behooves us to be conservative. You know what also people ask a lot about is the frenula, the membrane between the upper and lower teeth. So that's, yeah, the labial is another controversial issue. Um, My thinking on that is more clear cut. I don't think that the labial frenum has that much of an effect on breastfeeding. Certainly not. I mean, I just listened today. Dr. Baxter was saying that if the baby can't evert their lips, they can't breastfeed well. Um, None of my children were tongue-tied and all of them didn't evert their lips. It's not, um, you know, the, the lip tie is a very controversial issue. And the orthodontist feeling is that you don't cut it until after you do braces, Mm -hmm. uh, if you need to. 
because mm-hmm. it could create a space between the teeth. Um, but if you cut it too soon, again, like you said, scarring could happen and then you can never close that space. So it's better to wait until the child is older and then reevaluate after braces. Right. And that would be something you would speak to an orthodontic. Yes. Only after orthodontic treatment would you right. deal with that. Right. As I don't think it has an effect on breastfeeding. Right. Or, or speech. Speech, not think. really either. Not that much. Like, I, I, you know. Somebody just came to me and asked a whole list of questions that they were worried that the upper frenulum tie was connected to. And should they get it snipped now? And so your answer is quite clear. Leave it alone. Wait. wait. My wait. answer on that is wait. Right. I mean, that's, that's what I believe, too. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So let's move on to baby teeth care. Uh-huh. Okay. That's going to be a book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my best analogy to that, and I get a lot of this in my area here. We have a lot of kids with teeth that look like they, I don't know where they come, groups from some third world country. You Baby teeth need to care. They, you cannot sleep with any kind of carbohydrates in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, breast milk, bottle milk, or the worst, juice, all of these things will just feed the bacteria. Now, the important thing to understand, I think, is that like anything else in the world, there are people that could eat chocolate cake all day and all night and not gain weight. But there are those people that take one bite of chocolate cake and gain 10 pounds. That being said, if you don't eat chocolate cake, you won't gain 10 pounds. Concept being that there are kids that can get away without brushing their teeth. But if you're cavity, if you are susceptible to cavities and you brush your teeth, you will not get those cavities. It's not inevitable, as many parents seem to feel. Um, to be frank, it's, it's a matter of home care. Some kids don't need as much attention as others. Some kids are more unfortunate and they are more susceptible to cavities, just like some kids are allergic to nuts. They can't eat nuts. The same thing with cavities. They need parents to brush their teeth until they can write their name well. So until they're five or six, parents should be brushing kids' teeth. Now, it's fine for the kids to brush their teeth. It's a good habit to get into, but then the parents should come behind them and brush their teeth for them. Um, and to prevent, it's a terrible disease. Children suffer. We have children in the operating room that we take right. and have general anesthesia to fix their teeth. We have children that we admit to the hospital with tooth infections. They're in the hospital. Right. Uh, they are baby teeth. They will fall out. But before that, they need to be taken care of to avoid the poor child to have pain, um, problems, their permanent teeth because of their baby teeth, problems with speech, problems with growth and development. There is a whole host of problems. I can't stress enough the importance of parents watching the children's diet. Because sugar is not good for anybody. You know, minimizing sugar and home care, two very important things. The other thing I tell moms is that it's a good habit to have from the birth, have a baby know how to self-soothe and fall asleep by themselves, Mm -hmm. not to nurse them to sleep. Because if you do, they wake up in the middle of the night and they don't know how to go back to sleep again. So you've got a double whammy there. You've got mom waking up because the baby doesn't know how to fall back asleep. And then you're, again, opening the door for cavities. So if you can start this habit early of a child to be able to fall asleep by themselves without sucking, life will be better. Right. And and for me, I just try to get them off the milk. Like even if they're having that bottle and they can't solve, they've already in the mess already. You know, you have the behavior already. At right. least get off the milk. Yes. Or juice. Yeah. And whether Plain it's water. the bottle. You know, I had a patient once who was only breastfed. And um, this is actually in, in the city where there's actually fluoridated water. And the parents had reversed as most of the water to remove the fluoride. <laughs> yeah. 
And then because she was nursed all night, the back molars were horrifically decayed and she ended up needing capping on all her metal caps on all her teeth. I do it once a week. <laughs> I'm in the operating room once a week with four kids and there's a waiting list. Right. We have a lot of kids with a lot of problems and it, it hurts my heart. <laughs> yeah. It hurts my heart because it's preventable. 90% preventable, more than that. I mean, there are some kids with disabilities, you know, there are, yeah. those are unfortunate, but it's so preventable. And people seem to accept this as this is my, you know, all my other kids have cavities and I have cavities and this is what we're going to, you know, we're just going to fix it when we get it. Or we're going to not fix it and let it fall out. And that could sometimes be worse. Right. So back to fluoride, because I alluded to it. Yes. Um, it's a little traumatic for me because I grew up in New Jersey, fluoride in the water. Started, you know, raising my kids in Brooklyn and, you know, fluoride in the water. Started practicing in Brooklyn, fluoride in the water. And then I moved to Long Island. There is no yeah. fluoride in the water here. Well, good for me. <laughs> you get the patience. Yeah, no, that's really a terrible joke. Um, yeah. it's, it's, fluoride is such a wonderful public health invention, so to speak. Um, it's a naturally occurring product in water. I mean, it's, it's, they, it was discovered by accident in two towns in upstate New York where one town had fluoride in the water and one town did not. And somebody figured out that that was the reason why one, town, one side of town had way more cavities than others. Um, so it's, if you don't live in a fluoridated area, you should be supplementing with some fluoride in, for the children's teeth. Um, there are guidelines and they can be prescribed. Fluoride does need to be, need a prescription. Right. We started at six months with Correct. the first dose, which is the 0.25. And then we go yes. six years old to the 0.5 and then six and up. And we stop, I stop at around 14, but you know, I, to tell That's you the fine. truth, I, I find that a lot of, of children really don't like it. And when they get to the chewable, you know, purple pills, that taste like nothing <laughs> or they don't like them or whatever. I, 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 a lot of times they're not so compliant. It's really hard to get them to be compliant. Um, and I really encourage them to make sure they get the fluoride application regularly for six months. Yes, yes. And pediatricians can do that, by the way. We theoretically could. <laughs> we don't yeah. have time. <laughs> you don't have time. That's true. And the problem then is that then we don't know who the pediatrician did it or the dentist did it. And then it's a problem. And we like to clean the teeth first, although it's not right. absolutely necessary. Um, fluoride is, is, is a godsend. It really makes right. a very big difference. Um, although, uh, baby teeth are never fluoridated because fluoride does not cross the placenta, mm -hmm. which is why we see so many cavities in baby teeth more so than in permanent teeth, because by permanent teeth, we hope that there's some fluoride, you know, happening for the kids. Right. But moms should be using a fluoridated toothpaste from age when they can spit out like two to three, even, uh, without fluoride in the water, I'd probably tell them to start even a little bit earlier yeah. using a grain of rice is, is right. what is, right. um, you know, it used to be a pea. Now they change it to a grain right. of rice or a smear right. of, of, of toothpaste. And they say actually not to rinse it out sometimes. If you if the children are in a non-fluoridated area, you could just not rinse that out and leave it there. And that will probably cover it. What about fluoride rinses? Because I have, you know, patients who say, well, my kids don't take the fluoride. There's no fluoride in the water. We use the fluoride rinses. That's good, too. Everything is additive. So mm. the fluoride toothpaste, the fluoride rinses, all of them have some benefit. And so the fluoride rinses are very nice. Uh, if they will do it, you know, we have to use what we can, what, what they'll do. That's most important is compliance. Can you have too much fluoride? Yes, absolutely. There is such a thing as too much fluoride. Uh, it causes what's known as fluorosis. Mm -hmm. um, and that's model teeth. Uh, they're not 
to have filter cavities, but they look ugly. So we're, that's mm. why we have dosing because we want to make sure that we're not over uh, fluoridating the teeth. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, patients tell you that they're very worried about the fluoride, that they're afraid it's toxic or some other theory behind that? Because I know I, I struggle with hesitancy, similar to vaccine hesitancy, yes. the fluoride hesitancy. There is. There's a lot of stuff out there. You know, unfortunately, with the Internet, there's good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get it that much here in Brooklyn. Um, but the water in Brooklyn is fluoridated, so it doesn't require people to go do anything. Right. You don't have um, to just keep supplementing it because it's in the water. <laughs> right, right. So it's there. You know, it, it's there. In other countries, by the way, they fluoridate different things like this. Some places that fluoridate salt and milk. Interesting. Interesting. That's just, you know, little dental trivia. But... <laughs> Um, like you don't have these kind of conversations that I have all the time with, I would never do that. I read about it. It's dangerous. You know, there's been so many studies that prove it's not. There's well, the famous Swedish twin studies mm-hmm. where they've done studies and tried to ascertain. And it's been around for so many years. Um, there's some people who you just can't convince. <laughs> just, you know, yeah, they I have mean- the theory and the facts just don't matter. Right. I mean, the, to, for them to get the fluoride treatments, like the fluoride varnish, the fluoride application, if they have that every six months, that should be adequate. It's not like they're losing out by not getting it in the water or in the pill, correct? No. <laughs> they should be getting it in the water, too. <laughs> yes, because the, the one is topical and one systemic. Mm-hmm. So how does that differ? So they have different mechanisms. You know, systemic will get incorporated into the deeper lay- layers of the hydroxyapatite. It becomes fluorapatite rather than hydroxyapatite in the teeth. So while that's why we recommend fluoride supplementation for children, we don't recommend it for adults because mm. those teeth are done already. They are formed, they're out. So then systemic fluoride will not make a difference. There's no need for it. But for children, they're actually building the teeth. You know, they're growing underneath the gums. Systemic fluoride is, is more important because that will be incorporated in those teeth and make them stronger forever. I took my children to a dentist who was a little scared of fluoride supplements himself. <laughs> and he said that it was, you know, he only wanted to have it applied directly. He did not want, you know, it to be supplemented. So it's interesting to hear that explanation. You know, even even dentists can be susceptible to <laughs> some theories that are not science-based. Yeah, well, actually, the Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, yeah, the Academy is really good. They They publish every... They have a big, pay, big, big book of guidelines, and they have all the research, and they have all the guidelines, and they have all the consensus statements, and they, and they revise them every few years. It's re- they're really great. And so I'm mostly basing my information off of that. Mm-hmm. But um, would, you, would you be able to give like an amount like better that it is to have fluoride either in the water or in a supplement as opposed to just the application every six months? I'm curious because this comes up all the time for my families how much better it is? I mean, is it a huge difference or is it, you know, okay, it's better, but it's not a huge difference? I don't know if that data is out there. Okay. I don't, I really couldn't give okay. you a, a good answer on that. I could try to look it up if you, I have it right behind me. <laughs> I mean, in my mind, again, like you said, you can't convince everybody. And I always try to let, not let perfect be the enemy of the as good as I'm going to get. You know, yes. if I people to go to the dentist and have them put fluoride, you know, topically on the child and remind them it's important and the toothbrushing and the toothpaste, and I don't get them to have it in the water or the supplement, well, that's still way better. Agreed. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Any, whatever, however you do it, it's, it's great. And if they're going to get topical fluoride twice a year, that's probably going to be a very big help. And also, 
you know, if you're drinking soda or juice that's bottled in New York, you can have fluoride in there. There is what's called the halo effects. So even mm-hmm. if your water doesn't necessarily have fluoride, some of the products will be made with water that has fluoride. Okay. So there is, it's hard to be a total purist and get none. <laughs> I know a family that used to go back to New York City and bring back the water. <laughs> <laughs> they have really good water. We have good water. <laughs> I'm a fan of a filter, but I have a Brita, which does not right. take out the fluoride. Right, right, right. I, I actually have reverse osmosis now, so we would have, if we had fluoride, it wouldn't be in there. No, um, that's no one. Yeah. Okay, so we talked a little bit about tooth, tooth discoloration from fluoride, but I know there are other causes. I'm okay. asking Robert a little because parents do ask about why their child's teeth has, you know, Actually, so the, there's fluorosis, which we mentioned, mm-hmm. is too much fluoride. Um, the other common reason, and uh, people aren't always aware of this, is trauma. Mm-hmm. So either trauma or infection to baby teeth can cause that. So if you have a baby tooth that's infected, um, and you let's say it's chronic and it's not hurting the kid, and you say, oh, let there's a baby tooth, it'll fall out. Well, you have the permanent tooth forming right underneath that baby tooth in an area of infection and inflammation, and that will of effect the formation of the permanent tooth. Mm-hmm. So now the permanent tooth can come out discolored or, or something called enamel scarring or, you know, or just generally weird looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot more of that. There's something called incisor enamel hypomineralization and there's a, we see a lot of it. So it could be related, related to um, trauma, infection, um, or fluoride as well. What about um, iron? Kids get iron drops often. Yes. Iron can cause, that will be superficial though. Iron discoloration is usually superficial and we work really hard and take it off with the cleaning. That comes mm-hmm. off with the cleaning. Good. Uh, there's Good. rare tooth discoloration, things like, you know, porphyria and all those kind of weird illnesses mm-hmm. cause like, you know, depositing of, an, of iron all over the place. And these, those are sick kids with other problems. So there are, I think mercury poisoning can do it. I'm going way back into my textbooks here. But, oh yeah, but there are some things that can cause tooth discoloration, um, heavy metal, toxicity, and things like that. But as a rule, my most common thing, if I see it, would be what happened to those baby teeth? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, your, that's my fr- number one. Number two is fluorosis. But number one, trauma. Trauma or cavities. Right. So that's a perfect segue to trauma because, you know, we do see that a lot. You know, a child's baby tooth gets damaged. Um, falls out, you know, any number of things. So I'd love to hear how you approach baby tooth injury. Because we say it's just a baby tooth, so what? Okay, so <laughs> there's a few things to talk about with baby tooth injuries and mm-hmm. young permanent teeth because a six or seven-year-old, when they smack their front teeth, are usually permanent teeth already. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I was just doing that right before I got on this podcast. <laughs> you know, teeth meet floor. Um, so baby teeth trauma should be seen by a dentist because um, – depending on which way they've been knocked, they could cause damage to the permanent tooth, back to this discoloration issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they might need to be removed uh, if they got knocked upward. Sometimes if they get knocked upward, um, they can be allowed to come back down, but sometimes they can up and die later. They need to be followed. Uh, a baby tooth that's knocked out altogether is usually go- by, gone into the garbage. So mm-hmm. if it's a baby tooth that's knocked out altogether, usually we do not do much about it, just to make sure that there's no fragments still in the tooth or that the fragments are accounted for. I've seen one where it was actually embedded in the child's lip. Mm. So, yeah, so that's uh, – so we want to make sure that we've accounted for the fragments of baby teeth 
and we usually leave them alone. But a, a seven-year-old or even a six-year-old, if it's a permanent tooth, uh, then it can be considered to be reimplanted. Um, but that's the only true dental emergency, and that should be seen right away. That tooth should be uh, brought back either um, if you're not too squeamish, the best thing to do is put it back in the kid's mouth mm-hmm. in, in the environment so that the cells on the tooth do not die. Um, the second choice would be to put it in if you have milk. Whole fat milk is better than skim milk. Uh, or even better than that is contact lens solution. Interesting. Because it's isotonic, it has the same um, mm-hmm. same concentration of, of things as blood, so it will keep those cells alive. And there is something called Hank's Balance Saline that a lot of the sports teams will have. Well, the schools should have that. So if a tooth gets knocked out, they can put it in that to preserve the vitality, to preserve the life of the tooth so that it can be reimplanted. Um, and then, you know, this is a whole procedure that you have to follow after that, but it can hopefully be put back. Um, but teeth that get cracked, let's say the whole tooth isn't falling out, but the tooth is cracked, that should be seen as well because that could, that needs to be covered up like it needs like a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. It's like have stitches for a cut sometimes. So any trauma... Uh, if you should either get to your dentist as soon as possible or all the emergency rooms in, at least in New York city, all the hospitals do have dentists available. Mm-hmm. So if, if you have a trauma situation, it's always good to have that evaluated. Uh, firstly, a local dentist is probably best bet, but if not, the emergency room can deal with, uh, most of those things. Mm-hmm. And back to a baby tooth, because this happened to my granddaughter, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> when they bang it, but it doesn't come all the way out, mm-hmm. um, and it looks like it's bruised, like, at the root. Okay. So now there's a whole bunch of different things there. It depends on, there's, there's different types of injuries, if it gets knocked inward or outward. Mm-hmm. Actually, if it gets knocked inward which is more, let's say, a ball or a fist hits a kid, um, then that's a better prognosis because the root comes out and it doesn't harm the developing permanent tooth that's happening underneath there. We have to worry about the baby tooth itself, but also the permanent teeth that are, that are growing underneath. Right. I'm talking about a tooth that doesn't get knocked forward or back. It gets bruised. Yeah, and then it gets discolored. It needs mm-hmm. to be watched. Sometimes it will need root canal or sometimes it will need extraction. Sometimes it will heal itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really just needs to be looked at. It needs to be x-rayed. Uh, you know, if a tooth, it's almost like a black and blue mark. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, is that you can see a little, there's a little bleeding in the pulp. The tooth might look a little gray or a little brown or even a little purple. Um, and that just needs to be watched to make sure it's not infected. Uh, again, we really want to worry about the permanent and don't wiggle it, right? <laughs> <laughs> we recommend a soft diet, exactly. Don't put your dirty mm-hmm. fingers in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, kids, they have to keep playing with it. They have to touch it. They have to explore it. Uh, no dirty fingers, you know. Uh, we bet you made it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> she saw a pediatric dentist. We left it alone. She had soft diet. It made it. Good. Good. A mm-hmm. lot of them do. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the body is a wonderful thing. You know, mm-hmm. don't mess with it too much. It'll heal itself. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, depending. But right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. you got to know when, when not to. But yes, mm-hmm. those, that, that can work. And it, most often that's what we do. You know, we watch, we just mm-hmm. make sure, but we want to make sure that we don't miss one that can get infected. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, we didn't talk about thumb sucking and pacifier use. Okay. That's <laughs> another <laughs> big topic. Uh, <laughs> Any digit sucking is, is, is going to create problems. So 
official academy dogma is that these habits, well, pacify, we like to stop early. Um, and it's always controversial, which is better, the thumb or the pacifier. Uh, you know, I had one kid who was a thumb sucker and I didn't like that. So my next kid, I gave a pacifier. I didn't like that. We went back to the thumb, <laughs> but it works for one kid, doesn't work for the other. Um, the thumb sucking should be stopped by the time the permanent teeth come in, which is like set five, six. That's the official um, academy guideline. I would like to see it stopped earlier. I think um, it's acting like braces. It's creating mm-hmm. a problem. In the opposite direction. Exactly. So now we are pushing the teeth out with that with the thumb. Um, and if you want to go back to the tongue-tied people and the controversial of that, controversy over that, it's affecting the airway. Because if your tongue is pushing on the palate, the roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. So therefore, now we're creating a very narrow, high-arched palate, and that's encroaching on the area for the nose and the airway. So mm-hmm. it's something to think about. So thumb-sucking should be stopped I would like, my personal opinion would be somewhere at three, four. Mm. Uh, there's many different techniques to get them to stop sucking their thumb. Uh, we start off easy and then we move on. There are appliances that the dentist can make to discourage thumb sucking. So we can make like a mini braces with a piece that goes on top of the palate that doesn't allow them to get you know, their thumb to their palate and, and, and do that damage. And usually that helps them stop. Um, it's, it's, you have to get that right window. Um, you, don't, you know, you want to stop it. Uh, that's why I think a pacifier is easier, but you have to be willing to have a few nights of no sleep. Mm-hmm. You have to take the pacifier right. away at a certain point and say, you know, we gave it to the pacifier it's fairy. fairy. <laughs> <laughs> we donated it to the poor children in Africa who don't have a pacifier. <laughs> Your disgusting pacifier is now living its other life. Um, you know, there's many ways to do it, but parents have to be parents and sometimes step up to the plate. Right. I'm going to be a devil's advocate here, though, because sure. I, I will tell you the truth. I find that everyone gets braces now. So <laughs> if we're talking about we're worried they're going to need braces, but they're going to need it anyway. That is true. And my friend, the orthodontist, I'll, I'll go on your My friend, the orthodontist says that. Braces are a lot cheaper than psychological counseling. <laughs> right. So especially when parents are so, I find them so worried when the child's one, two, leave them alone. I mean, we're both bubbies. We have like more of a perspective, right? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. so they're not going to get married, still sucking their thumb. I mean, like, well, maybe they will. But actually, <laughs> I've heard of adults who do, so maybe I shouldn't say that. They won't get married, still sucking a pacifier. <laughs> you don't walk down the aisle still sucking the pacifier. There you go. There you go. So, but I just, I, I do want to put it in that perspective because we are standards now for what's normal orthodontically have expanded to, it's pretty much hard to escape. Yes. Yes. Meeting criteria. So if you live in New York and there are many orthodontists, you will have braces. Right. <laughs> We've also, you know, our aesthetics are everything has to be perfect. Yes. Right. There's many things that are, functional and fine, you know, I may have SRIM, they're fine, but they're not perfect, you know, and it's a look. Right. Everybody wants to have this, everyone wants to have teeth that are very, 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 very white. You want to see that are very, very, very lined up. So, you know, that's, I wouldn't go there. Right, right, right. But, you know, putting a lot of attention to it, particularly for a child who's at the wrong age, you know, a very young age, like a terrible twos type age would, would, be more likely to be counterproductive, I think. Yes, yes. Sometimes you have to pick your battles. Exactly, exactly. And you're not going to win that one. So especially the thumb, 
thumb is a harder one because it's attached. It's there. So, right. uh, you know, it, it's a tricky one. Right. I'm going to go back a little bit to, to treating decay in baby teeth um, or older kids' teeth because we really didn't talk about that. I mean, it's different than in adults. Correct. So go for it. <laughs> okay. I can talk a lot about that too. Actually, this uh, one thing is very interesting is in my life, treating decay has changed a lot. Um, the, we do need to treat decay in baby teeth, but now we have what's called minimally invasive dentistry, mm-hmm. uh, where we are trying to use methods um, that will eliminate the bacteria without the need for drilling. Now, that's asking for a lot, um, but we do have methods in some cases where we can um, put on uh, what's called sylvodiamine fluoride, which is... Um, a very old medicine, actually. They used it a lot in World War II. And I don't know if you've seen kids with it, but what it does, it has a high, high fluoride concentration as well as the silver ions. So it will stop cavities about 80% of the time. It's not 100% effective, and it's case by case, but we can put this liquid on the teeth. It will kill the bacteria. It will stop it from getting worse. It won't fix the problem. It'll stop it from getting worse. Uh, there is one very big downside. It makes the teeth black. Ooh. Like black. <laughs> you know, Wait a second. Yeah. I'm, uh, this Have would be for kids? early cavities anyway, right? This couldn't be early for Early cavities in the back. Um, some of the Asian kids will let us do it in the front too, uh, you know, and the teeth look black. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's a, it's a look, <laughs> definitely a look. Um, what we it. do, <laughs> yeah, no, but you know what? It, you, you Sometimes you have kids who wait until to go to the operating room. And we don't want mm. them to have a problem till then. We can put this on their teeth. And I then see. when they're in the operating room, we can fix it mm. and make it look better. Mm. Uh, we have kids who have special needs and the risk versus the benefit. Right. You know, and the pain infection. Pain infection and all mm. that. If we can prevent that and not need a general anesthetic, um, you know, we can do it. We can, we can put the black stuff on it, wait a few weeks, and then sometimes we put white over it. So the teeth look a little bit grayish, but not not terrible. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's many new things that are coming, you know, to try to treat decay. But decay needs to be treated. The short answer and the, and the is that it doesn't get better by itself. Mm-hmm. So kids have cavities; they need some kind of intervention. Um, we need to do fillings. Uh, we try to do them in the office when we can. Uh, if we can't, we sometimes have to take them to the operating room. We do sedations. We do operating room. There's different. Every kid needs an independent decision based on their specific situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, we have to be mindful of children's baby teeth because they can have pain, infection, swelling, as we mentioned before, and damage the permanent teeth, which are coming next. Right, right. People also have to remember that children can get infections there and not think that it's, say, like, you know, an ear infection or a sinus infection. I've definitely seen that where a child has like an abscess. Yeah, and it can go systemic. Adults don't usually do that, but mm-hmm. baby, baby teeth infections are different, and mm-hmm. they can actually cause a kid to have fever. And mm-hmm. we've had kids in the hospital because of dental infections. That will, mm-hmm. There was a kid in America, hope, it was at least 10 years ago, so hopefully it won't happen again, that died of a dental infection. Ooh. Yeah, it, a famous story, you know, um, and that in America is really sad to just minimize. It's sad. It, it's, it's horrible. And so, you know, dental infections are nothing to laugh about. They, in adults, we, they'll wall it off better. But in kids, it can get systemic. Uh, 
They can also, don't forget, you know, we have a mouth and the airway. So if we have a bad swelling in the mouth, right. it could have a problem breathing. Right, right. So just to recap, um, because we covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time, and I thank you for that. I just want you to give us your like short elevator speech for what parents can do to prevent. Cause it's so horrible to think of children with these, you know, serious infections and serious decay. Unfortunately, I see it all the time. Remind us what we can do to prevent that. <laughs> uh, I'd like to say that den- that cavities is a hundred percent preventable. Mm-hmm. Let's go 95% preventable. Very highly. <laughs> it's very highly preventable, but it takes effort and it takes being a parent and it takes Number one, not letting, starting from a baby, not letting them sleep with a bottle or breast milk. None of the, you know, the, no sleeping bottle, no sleeping with breast milk. Cavities take a while to develop. So, you know, it takes some time for that to happen. But they need to have their teeth brushed from when they have teeth. We like to say the age one dental visit. They should have a dental home. They should have a dentist where they can come before they have cavities so they're comfortable with the dental office. So in the event, if they do have a small cavity, it can be fixed when it's small. It can be fixed in the office and it's less traumatic for everyone. So prevention is, is what we're after. And we go to the dentist to try to start that prevention early so that moms can you know, know what to do and, 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 and moms and dads can know what to do. And um, the most important thing, again, limiting sugar, limiting nighttime snacks, no soda, no juice, and brushing, brushing, brushing. And fluoride. I'm throwing fluoride. a picture of fluoride because I think a lot of people forget yeah. about it. I forget about it because I'm in Brooklyn and we are blessed you know. to have fluoride in the water. So, <laughs> Like I said, it took me a while to get my brain wrapped around having to add fluoride. Yes, it, it's, it is important to have fluoride. Uh, it's really a lifesaver, especially mm. in the permanent teeth. It makes such a difference. Even in my population, there's way more cavities in baby's teeth than there are in permanent Right. Because of the fluoride, right. it's it's really it saves a lot, um, and it's so easy. And it's as I said, you got to set these kids up for a good. You know, if they, if they know that this is their routine, they'll do it. You have to catch them early right. because if you start when they're too late, they're going to resist the brushing. Right. It's important to start the brushing young, uh, even before they have teeth. We recommend taking a washcloth, a clean washcloth, mm-hmm. and wiping their gums. Uh, so you know, make it fun. Uh, you know, make it just this is what we do. This is our nighttime routine, and they'll be fine with it if, if, it, starts, if it starts from a young age. And, you're Wait, and you recommend that the, the, the parents bring their children to you from their first tooth, correct? Correct. Age one it, mm. it, or, or earlier from when mm-hmm. they have their first tooth. So we can have these conversations, and we can figure out how the best way is to prevent a problem for this particular child in this particular situation. Right. And you also have a dental home at that point. Correct. Dental home is a very important concept. Yeah. It's a place to go. And it helps the kids even if they don't have a cavity so that they're comfortable in the environment and they know it makes it less traumatic for them if they do have a problem later. And for the parents as well. Right. You know, this is what you're doing. We've formed a relationship with the child. We've formed a relationship with the parent and we can move forward. Right. So this is such, such a great amount of information and a great summary at the end. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you for reaching out to me. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.